0: where each week, Seth Breedlove and Mark Matske convene to discuss the greatest mysteries the world has ever known. Now, strap on your hiking boots, grab your trusty walking stick, and don't forget the bug spray, as we begin our journey through Monsteropolis.
1: Recording. It's yeah. all rolling, yeah. It's rolling, okay. This is Monsteropolis, a show about anomalies, <laughs> legends, and monsters. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Seth Breedlove. I'm joined, as always, by my pal, Mark Matsky. Hello, greetings. Hey there. Hey. Uh, oh, my. What Hello. do? Oops. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, for squad members, uh, we have started to record... It's not going to be every episode because of the format with which we we actually record the show. See, this is the thing I was talking about. Is I want to be able to switch back and forth like a, like yeah. in a studio setting. Um, every, we're, not every episode of Monstropolis will be recorded live for Squad. Um, <clears throat> for sure, every episode of Small Town Monsters Squadcast will be recorded live. These are both things you can access if you're a member of Squad which means you go on YouTube, you hit join and you're in. Um, But we thought this would be fun to experiment with. And if there are people that can tune in live, they'll be able to toss questions and comments and stuff in and we can interact with them on that level. However, we only gave viewers like an hour notice about this. Well, since (laughs) 1115 on a weekday. Um, We're just like that though, you know, throw it out there and,
2: Show up if you can.
1: Uh, if you're... Oh, I just realized why it's so bright in here. We put new light bulbs in here because we were trying to fix the yellow. Yeah. And, and I think it's just blown out the, the entire background. <laughs> if you're watching this and you're like, this is appalling, and I never want to watch sh- uh, Monsteropolis recorded <laughs> live again, We this is the last episode we're recording in the studio, this, this space. I believe next week we will be recording in... Not next week. The week after, we'll be recording in the uh, new office. So we are moving the palatial SDMHQ. Uh, uh, thankfully, just across the hall. So, and I just gave Mark a uh, a tour of it. So yeah, you could,
2: it's one of those things you can just dream away. Yeah, got some good plans for it. It'll also be almost a more of a museum setting than it mm-hmm. is now, which there yeah. are elements of that here. So. Looking, yeah looking i think forward to that
1: i think there it's going to be cool because you're going to be working amongst the museum and yes. here it's like this room's the museum room and there's the studio room yeah and the new office is going to be a little bigger um we do have a viewer andy says what's up seth what's up buddy thanks for tuning in live Um, we're going to talk today. So today's episode is all about flying humanoids. Before we get to that, if you're listening to this, you're what, like one week out from the release of the Mark of the Bell Witch. Correct. So the Mark of the Bell Witch is coming. It's, um, available for pre-order right now at 15% off on the STM store, which is running through December 14th. The movie comes out on the 15th. It'll be available on Vimeo on demand and Amazon as well as. DVD and Blu-ray. The Blu-ray and DVD have a forty-minute, I think it's forty-minute, forty-five-minute uh, featurette about the making of the movie. However, um, Aaron and I shot interviews with uh, Tom and Amy, and we still need to interview you and um, you and Adrian, my wife. <laughs> oh, her about uh, about your experience on the set. Whenever we get a minute okay. um, and then Aaron's doing like a squad exclusive. Um, it's a more polished behind the scenes. Look at the making of the movie, which I think if you're into this stuff uh, you'll probably want to watch it actually. Cause it, it's more, it'll be more in depth on the actual making of the movie than production diaries. Production diaries are amazing. Cause it's like, you're, you're there, but there's also very little context for what, <laughs> for what you're actually sure. watching. Right.
2: Um, so yeah. Is this a situation where, um, like ultimately Tim Henson interview and so forth, that'll be released in
1: full? Dude, the, the crazy thing about Bellwitch is we shot like 13 interviews for it. There's an entire interview that isn't even in the movie that we're going to release, um, as an eyewitness report. Cause it's from someone who experienced weird stuff in Kate Batts old home. Um, but yeah, Tim Henson's whole interview, we need to do an eyewitness report of Tim Henson because he had a crazy, uh, not crazy, but a really cool, well, no, it is pretty wild. Like mm. um, and we've talked about it on the show, his, his orb sighting or just spook light sighting. Um, so there's all sorts of
2: Does he reference that stuff. in the film now? I can't remember. Could they, so, it, I almost think that there's like a passing reference that he
1: makes to it and it's never... It's never addressed up. Yeah. Well, if you remember in the early cuts, it was in there in full. Correct. Story. Um, as was the other, as was, yeah. Uh, Kay Ethel. Um, but honestly, even her story was so cut down for time that you were missing a lot of the, the key details of what she experienced. Um, there's a a story she tells about a cat appearing outside the window of the house that they're convinced was Kate bats. Wow. Um, so We're we want to get familiar. Yeah, so we want to get some of this stuff into the into the movie in, into squad uh, once Bellwitch is out. That's the only unfortunate thing right now is like the stuff I have ready to roll that we could just throw on there and like start putting on squad is all the newest stuff and none of yeah. it's out. We have Bellwitch stuff, we have Dark Sky stuff, we have hours of Bigfoot the journey stuff. Um, I was actually going through like Steve Calls, the interview we did with Steve Calls in the tent. Yeah, It's like, oh, man, because yeah. like in the in the actual movie, that's only going to be like a minute, mm-hmm. you know, and and I was like, oh, he's got like all these he's talking about like waterways yeah. and like following the waterways and that stuff with like,
2: the maps
1: yeah. All the, maps set up. the map. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, there's a lot of fun stuff coming to that. Plus, on the trail of hauntings starts posting at the beginning of January. And we're we're finally ironing out the details for filming episode two and should know by the. Honestly, I might already know now. I haven't looked at my email. We're trying to figure out when the next shoot date is. It's going to be in the next week or so. I mean, it's going to come up real fast for for day two. And it sounds like it's going to be Madison Seminary, um, which apparently is like one of the most haunted locations in Ohio. I'll tell you that uh, uh, Santino sent me a message last night and said this might be the most irreverent uh, (laughs) or least reverent ghost hunting doc ever and he Mm. meant that not not like religiously irreverent but like uh irreverent toward ghost hunting yes (laughs) and i was like well i was uh, getting that vibe
2: the day that we were (laughs) down there actually
1: yeah uh, and there's
2: the first footage is out right i mean like on instagram and so forth you um, can see get a hint of what's coming
1: aaron cut a quick promo i i wouldn't say it's going to be comedy by any stretch of the imagination, but it's definitely going to be less, um, maybe a slightly less stone face serious than most people are used to with our other on the trail of stuff. Cause mm-hmm. I think what Santino really wants to do is integrate the crew into the, the film or into the, the yes. short, whatever you want to call it. And in so doing,
2: that's the irreverence. Yeah. You're, you're,
1: you're, going to, you're going to get a real good idea of how we approach this stuff, which if you watch watched the 32 minute production diary, you already know that anyway. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, uh, that on the trail of haunting starts in January. And then beyond that, we have big plans for more episodic content. We've been rambling here enough. I think we probably need to talk about flying humanoid. Um, Who suggested this? I I sent you. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Boy, Mister J, this guy over on the YouTube just going berserk on uh, how skeptical he is. Gorilla suit contest stories, hundreds of thousands of trail cams, and not a convincing photo. Hundreds of years, thousands of stories, no bones. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to find this. Photo, just so I can give oh. credit where it's due. Thomas Keller. Thomas Keller. Okay. Flying humanoids. Boom. Suggested flying humanoids. Yeah. Yep. I don't know how we want to do this. I. Um. Well, I what, did. What's your favorite
2: flying humanoid? Oh, there's so story many or genre. So many.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just, could, so,
2: you could start there. Yeah, I
1: mean the thing is that I haven't spent enough time looking at flying humanoid stories and i realized that as i started looking into this because every state has multiple flying humanoid stories and i also don't know how to categorize a flying humanoid for instance see that's an interesting question yeah absolutely go ahead i mean i i think i know i have a centaur centaur story do you really (laughs) and so does i don't think that fits in because it's a quadruped but at the same time it has the head of a man (laughs) yeah so like how's it not Humanoid, at least in its that yeah, that's humanoid. Is it flying? Um, no. I don't remember. Th- 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 I was it th- jumping? Yeah. <laughs> Hold on, I have this. I have this here somewhere. I think I, the thing is, I'm pulling from. Uh, here's a great one. Winged man makes sizzling. What is? I don't even know what a sizzling thing. Sizzling whizzing noise as he skims over Chihuahua barn. You're gonna oh, like this okay. one. This is a newspaper article from the 50s. Um, yeah, this article is called "A Mexican Centaur." It's from the Daily Independent, 1891. Um, And now that I'm looking at it, I I don't actually see Leap Tie in the Air, if nothing else. (laughs) He was briefly flying. Yeah, and that's a story I pulled from Monsters in Print, which is a really cool uh, compilation book by uh, Adam Benedict, where he pulled in sort of like um, Chad, um, uh, the the, uh, historical book. yeah. Chad Armand's book. Uh, But this is much more all-encompassing, and I'm going to reference it there and then i'm going to reference i just want to get this out of the way so i don't forget mm-hmm. uh, ken gerhard's flying humanoids book um encounters with flying humanoids by ken gerhard and then i pulled some stuff off of uh newspapers.com i was trying to go back old school and pull stuff from um creatures from the outer edge Ooh, yeah because i know there's winged mm-hmm. humanoids in there and i i just ran out of time yeah so um Wind weirdies so uh, it's How do you define? Well, I, that's a great question. And I, it led me
2: to want to ask you probably now would be the perfect time is, is Mothman a flying humanoid? Do you classify him as a flying humanoid? It seems like everyone uh, else does. right? I I know. I know. But when you go back to the original reports, I guess this is fresh in my mind because of some keel research I was doing recently. Mm -hmm. I forget why, but, um, the initial reports of Mothman really all break in the direction of a bird mm-hmm. or a bird like creature. People who saw Mothman up close, you know, they, they mention a hunched over figure, but the, there's a conspicuous absence of a head in these early reports. You know, you've got the the bred eyes, but they're situated much lower and there's not like a perceivable head. Whereas like today, the artistic rendering of Mothman is like a guy in a black form-fitting yeah. suit with wings, and it's been suggested that that idea of Mothman really came later, almost exclusively with the um, Frazetta illustration mm-hmm. that was in place on a later edition of Mothman Prophecies. So I, I, that that's what leads me to ask the question: You know, do we put Mothman in there as a flying humanoid because? The initial flap seems to, I mean, it could be that, but it, it seems as likely as we're talking about a weird bird hybrid type creature. So I didn't really lump that in with flying humanoid. I mean, for me, the, the definition of a flying humanoid would be, it, it has to really be a human figure, which is to say, head, torso, arms, legs, discernible, and that this, this figure is flying through the air in a sustained sort of way. It may have wings, or it may not. Uh, but that you know, there's some. There could be some means of of transportation that the humanoids using. And there, I'm thinking of both. Like on one end, like all the witch stories where the witch is riding a broom or mm-hmm. some other thing that's allowing them to, uh, you know, fly in a, a ongoing way through the air. Or you've got today, and some of the things that I was really I'm most excited about, I guess, would be like the Mexico City sightings, where it seems to be like a a, a dude with wings. Well, not not wings, but some sort of pack, like a jet pack or a backpack that's providing thrust or anti gravity or something. But the the point being that it's a it would appear to be a discernible human figure. Or humanoid in the sense that the people can see legs, they can see arms and a head, but otherwise it's you know. And I guess that's where I just have questions about: Is Mothman a flying humanoid?
1: Well, I yeah. I mean, I I know most consider Mothman a flying humanoid or in that category. Some descriptions might fit into that. It is funny though, as you're saying that. I'm racking my brain trying to think of the, the specific descriptions that talk about Mothman as being human like in any way. And I can't immediately do it. Yeah. It's funny because I was just looking, I was doing newspaper archival research this morning, and I kept turning up 2002 articles about the Mothman Prophecies movie. Mm-hmm. And in those articles, they're just straight up calling the Mothman a man. Like a man with wings, flying man is what Mm -hmm. is why they kept coming up. Um, and I and I now that you're saying that, I don't, I'm racking my brain trying to think of of descriptions. Um, who was the woman? I can't, I can't remember, I can't keep all these names straight anymore, but there was the woman that saw it on the golf course and had the, um, the red, the red, redness in her eyes after the fact. I can't remember her name. She also had a brush with the, the MIB. But her description was a little more manlike. Um, the scarberries and the mallets aren't. That's the one with no head. I mean, essentially, mm-hmm. like no head. And Tom Yuri sees a bird, like a, a yeah. thunderbird.
2: The Walmsley one, where the the child is dropped. Yeah, that's that's not humanoid
1: either. I mean, that's the and shuffling. It kind of depends on when she's talking about it, though. Really? It, because later she kind of talked about it as being like that. She was looking at the devil. Mm-hmm. Like she was looking at the devil himself. But now that I say that, I don't know if she's talking, is she referencing the eyes or the, Yeah, I would like the other one. Oh shoot. Now it dropped out of my mind already. I started the, Oh, um, Faye, Faye DeWitt's, but I think she talks about it more insect-like. Hmm. If I'm not mistaken. So, so I just think there's this interest, interesting evolution from,
2: and I think it probably has a lot to do with the name mm-hmm. itself. It, you know, man
1: it, is part of the name.
2: Mothman kind of conditions people to to put that into that box of what they're seeing. What
1: about, Did you look into the Houston Batman at all while you were doing a little bit? Okay, there's very little on it. Okay, actually, and it,
2: I what I saw was in Ken Gerhard's book.
1: Yeah, I have Ken's book, and we're going to talk about it, but I didn't. I didn't end up getting into the Houston stuff. That was the big thing. If, we I, if I read into. it correctly, the Houston Batman is basically
2: one sighting. Okay. You know, one man had a sighting and um, fairly close up, detailed sighting, but there, it wasn't a flap, you know, by any stretch. It was just sort of an isolated incident. People saw some giant figure on the top of a building they didn't necessarily say it flew there, they just saw it on oh.
1: up there, huh? So it could have been an owl s- man,
2: too. That's something else,
1: that's Britain, right? Correct, okay. Yeah. Did you look into
2: that? I did. Can you I talk did. about that? Sure, I mean, that was it's really weird. It more than anything, I mean, along with some similarities to Point Pleasant, the other thing that reminded me in some ways was of Bell Witch because the initial wave of sightings in 1976 was almost exclusively um, preteen and teenage girls, hmm. either singly or in small groups, seeing the owl man in and around this particular church, Mon End Church in Cornwall. Hmm. And uh, the descriptions of it are sort of nebulous. Um, some of them are described in terms of like a white or a gray owl-ish large creature, you know, but um, again, I think Owlman is more of a handy way to slap a label on something that you can't, can barely describe. The thing that caught my attention the most is that in a couple cases, at least in the seventies, you know, you have the same feature as the Mothman cases, which is to say there were visible wings, but according to the eyewitnesses, they never flapped, especially in takeoff. When if this is an actual, this is like a a regular bird, there has to be some sort of thrust and flapping with that. You just don't spread your wings and rise off the ground. Yet that's what was being reported in these owl man cases. Either that or a hovering around the top of the church, which again, the flapping of wings is not mentioned in those sightings, which is really strange. But there's this great quote of these, I think it was two sisters that saw the creature at the same time. And it just struck me. It's if we imagined it, we imagined it at the same time,
1: mm-hmm.
2: which I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And just from a, a sighting standpoint, it's pretty cool.
1: What about myth mythologically? So in looking for, in doing my uh, newspaper archival stuff, I couldn't, I, I came up with very few. I came up with this one article that's on here. Granted, I didn't spend a ton of time, maybe an hour, like looking at newspapers.com, but, um, the the thing that stood out to me is what kept turning up were articles about mythological or religious figures. Mm-hmm. So like you put in winged man or winged monster or even bird man and I kept getting angel stories yes. and um and mythology mm-hmm. like harpies kept coming up. Right. Did you do you think there's a is, is this a transition from in the same way we talk about wild men or the wood is this the transition that happens with winged humanoids where we go from calling them harpies and uh and and dark angel, right Archangel, uh, Gabriel <laughs> all the yeah so, well, like, sure that,
2: yeah I think that's a legitimate question and it, it, it there is some overlap for sure that's one of the things that I appreciated about Gerhard's book is that he doesn't shy away from the religious elements or sightings and sort of just presents them as is without doing a whole lot of interpretation. Uh, but I think there is a lot to that. And there's this, it, clearly there's this wave like at the, the beginning of the 20th century of people seeing um, anomalies in the sky and attributing a religious nature to them.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: The most famous of those most likely would be uh, Fatima, and uh, one of the one of the uh, key eyewitnesses in the Fatima experience had a sighting even before that took place. Um, that would have been in 1915. The Angel of Quebeco was a kind of precursor to that, um, and you. I think there's all kinds of things happening there. Uh, you have. You know, post you know, the turn of the century, fifteen oh five or 1905 in Spain, there were sightings of a woman in white floating oh. through the sky. And that it, it kind of divided opinion in that particular town. It led some to a form of religious repentance. You know, they were convinced that the end was nigh. Mm-hmm. And then you get into, uh, not too far into the 20th century, you're talking about World War I.
1: Yeah, which is around the same time where the Birdman shows up mm-hmm. in, in around Point Pleasant. And full disclosure, um other than James Gay Jones' book, I have found no evidence whatsoever anywhere of anyone talking about a birdman around Point Pleasant ever prior to prior to the Mothman sightings. So I mean, James Gay Jones is a legit author and a professor, as far as I can tell, kn- knows his stuff. So he was pulling this from somewhere, right? Um, but when I made sure to reference that in in the Mothman of Point Pleasant, I think we referenced it again in Legacy, but we didn't reference get, uh, his book. Maybe we did. Um, but the the fact is that that stuff is so interesting to me because there's it's never talked about anywhere. You don't hear about those sightings. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that, to me, that's probably the most important piece of the puzzle because you're talking about a historical context for Mothman sightings. For those who don't know what I'm talking about, there were these sightings around the time of World War One, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's the time frame. It's World War One or World War Two mm-hmm. uh, near Point Pleasant of um, what they called the Birdman, which was a creature that that showed up that would proceed. Uh, supposedly like f- farm disasters is, is kind of like how James yeah. G. Jones writes about it. And it was seen by motorists and people on roads and things like that. And it was a man like bird. Um, and it, it, this is in his book as being part of oral tradition, as far as I understand it around the area folklore around the area of Gallipolis and Point Pleasant. Yeah. And as you say that, that
2: might be referenced by John Keel in Mothman Prophecies, but okay. as is typical of his writing, there's not a footnote <laughs> or a citation right. of where he pulled that information from, okay. but it, it rings a bell.
0: Well,
2: then you got to wonder that.
1: if James Gay Jones just pulled it from Keel. Does, does Keel reference him? No, I probably like not.
2: Does... I, if he does, he, he would say typically something like an author or a professor wrote in okay. in a book or a tome, but he he's not... At least in Mothman prophecies, he's not in the habit of citing his sources.
1: Well, those Birdman sightings are so interesting because it gives a context, a historical, a historical precedence, I guess, for for sightings like that around the area. Mm-hmm. That was why I always made sure to focus on it. All right, I pulled out, uh, I pulled out um, Ken's book, uh, Encounters with Flying Humanoids. I, again, full disclosure, did not read this book. <laughs> I flipped through this book uh, and and mostly this morning and was, and was looking at interesting things. Uh, I love the state of Maryland. There's a thing, there's a section in here called Maryland's monsters where it goes into, and most of this is pulled from fate magazine, which is why I'm going to do this. I normally, I normally bristle at just straight up reading from someone else's book, but most of this is from fate magazine. Um, I, so I, I just thought this was interesting and it plays into the Birdman stuff. Uh, and there's two parts here I want to read. And one talks about Mexico, which I think you wanted to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So, Maryland's monster. Across the United States, there are copious, colorful urban legends that depict a variety of whimsical hobgoblins. One such tale tells of Maryland's Snallygaster, typically conveyed as a winged creature with an elongated beak and curiously one prominent cyclopean eye resting in the center of its forehead. During the year 1909, newspapers around Maryland were abuzz with stories about the sinister Snallygaster and its daily dalliances. Man, Ken, killing it. <laughs> the old Lion State is also home to a number of other uncanny creatures, including the Sykesville monster and something known as the Goatman. Additionally, in an old issue of Fate magazine, there is an obscure reference to a flying beast that was encountered by a Mar- Maryland man named John Kulak. Sometime during the 1970s, Kulik characterized the thing he saw as approximating a winged entity with a human face and no beak. According to his description, the creature had gray feathers engulfing its body, especially its arms. Years later, Mrs. Ruth Lundy of Woodbine, Maryland, wrote a letter to editor Mark Chorvinsky of Strange Magazine detailing a flying humanoid she cited in 1980. And this is the part I wanted to get to. Spent a lot of time on the other stuff. Mine was about 10 years ago when I was returning home around 3 a.m. After being out with a few few friends to an all-night restaurant to eat, I was turning off. 140 on the 91 in Finksburg in Carroll County, Maryland, which at that time was not developed as it is now. The area was a high bank with a big cornfield at that time, which was used for farming. The field backed up to a Jewish graveyard. And this, this reminds me, did you notice the correlation between sightings of these things and graveyards? Mm -hmm. This is a lot. Yeah. It comes up, which put me in mind of the fact that the first Mothman sighting, that one sounds less like, the headless being or a giant bird, actually Mm. the, um, the, the grave digger setting in Clendenin is more, was more of a man with wings. Mm. Uh, Anyway, the figure, um, Oh, I skipped. Hold on. Uh, Jewish graveyard. After I made that turn, I saw what I thought was a man. As I got closer, I saw what reminded me of a big pterodactyl type thing but standing on two feet like a man. The strange figure was brownish gray and over six feet tall. The face of this figure was of a man, but the chin seemed to be pointed like a beak. The figure then started moving. And when it did, it looked as though it had wings. And the closer I got, the faster it would flap its wings. It had a big wingspan. The thing flew away. It flew over my car and the force of the wind made my whole car shake. The sound that wind made the sound, the wind made almost sounded like a helicopter. Driving towards it must have scared it. When I used to tell people about this, they thought I was putting them on, but it's something I will never forget. And even now when I go through that area, even knowing how developed it is, I feel scared. Uh, there's more about the Birdman in the graveyard. And oh. this is Mexico. The following chapters will reveal that the nation of Mexico is ground zero for the flying humanoid phenomenon. But this is him writing. I just feel weird when I do that stuff. I just don't feel like doing okay. it. So there's a whole section here yeah. about that. And you want to talk about that. So, it does. I can tell you that my introduction to flying humanoids was through, through Mexico because of, I think it was like destination truth or something. Did an episode mm-hmm. where they went to Mexico and did an investigation. Right. And there's also does Puerto Rico that factors in or it may, the ones that
2: I'm more um, the ones that I recognize the most are like Mexico city. Okay. But Puerto Rico's got everything. Yeah. I mean, when you start digging into it, yeah which, by the way, remind me, I have to tell you, um, I've got some leads on uh, chupacabra witnesses.
1: Oh, wow. Let's do it. Were given to me. Were so. they in a specific town? Can I make a movie about this? Possibly. Yes. Possibly. Right. We're good.
2: So um, <laughs> Coming twenty twenty. <laughs> <laughs> so before we go to Mexico, I think as a kind of a good segue... Tell me the Chahalas-Washington oh, yes. one. Okay. If it's the one that I'm thinking of. So. I I think I ran across Gerhard's description of that in his book. And I think it's really, it's kind of a fascinating in-between sort of, you know, we're talking about, on one hand, you've got these religious images, images and um, humanoids in that sense. And then on our, closer to our end, you've got sort of these vaguely demonic, evil winged entities
1: mm-hmm.
2: and these strike me these 1950s sightings strike me as something in between those two mm-hmm. it's very like space age
1: yes yeah, so 1950s flying saucer type thing there were airship era sightings of flying men too and i right. could not find those and i was trying to really quickly come yeah. up with those so we might have to do a part two mm-hmm. to this flying humanoid thing because i i that's actually what i was trying to find and I could not find those under the descriptions. You're shaking your head, so you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. Yeah. Um, and it's like, and it's like that late 1800s, early 1900s, um, s- steampunk style. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so there were settings of that, but yeah, this is 50s. Uh, the article, I, I unfortunately in in airdropping this to myself, I lose all the info because the info is actually in the name of the the file. Oh, okay. So all I know is it's 1950s and it was um, Chihala. So winged man makes sizzling whizzing noise as he skims over Chahalis barn. Uh, Washington, state of Washington, January 21st. The state of Washington where the first flying saucers were reported outdid itself today. A woman reported that she had sighted a flying man, Mrs. Bernice Zykowski, 61, Chahalis said she saw a man with wings attached to his back fly over her barn at an altitude of 200 feet and disappear to the south. Mrs. Zykowski said the upright birdman made a sizzling and whizzing noise as he climbed and banked in flight, but that his wings neither flapped nor rotated. She said she could see no motive powers, such as propeller, either above or in front of him. Authorities greeted the report with an oblique, Huh? (laughs) <laughs> but the Polish-born Mrs. Zajkowski insisted she had a good view of the aerialists as he skimmed her barn on January 6th. She said that some schoolchildren were with her at the time and ran to her backyard for a better view. I like that story because yeah. it also references um, UFOs.
2: Right, right. And I, I, same here. In the same uh, general vicinity as Kenneth Arnold's sighting, you've got you know, a year before that is Kenneth Arnold. And then this takes place and it's a mini flap of people seeing Mm -hmm. a humanoid figure person evidently with these metallic wings and other reports that I saw with that, you know, like there's a control panel on the chest. Yeah. So it's this very like pop art, 1950s, um, you know, I think of those artistic renderings of like the moon landings and mm-hmm. stuff like that and the the circular space stations and things. And this strikes me as falling right within that same sort of mental space. Right. And uh, what is really weird is that later on, not too far uh, removed from that sighting, a man had a sighting of Something extremely similar in some senses in Nebraska, Falls City, Nebraska. He sees a figure flying with the metallic wings and the control panel on the chest, except he described it, he had an extremely close-up look at it as a demonic face hmm. and making weird sounds as it flew over. I mean, I don't know if it was the, the sizzling It
1: was probably sound. a guy at
2: the hang glider. Like, yeah.
1: He's making <laughs> he's making the noise.
2: Yeah. So I mean, there's there's no real explanation to be offered except to, I I think just from a um, imaginative standpoint, you know, you can see the transition mm. from religious based imagery and mythological to now you've got the the technology that was becoming widely popular in the forties and the fifties, you know, end of the end of World War II and the Cold War beginning, and you've got this emphasis on. A technology that's going to keep us safe and protect us right and you're seeing people flying around with that on and then as that sort of fades into the background i think with the nasa and the moon landings and all that things take on a different sort of pallor with the 60s and mothman
1: and now it's something unnameable right um I have my, uh, I'm trying to find something here. Cause mm-hmm. now, now I can, now I can pull this up actually. Um, but, uh, I was trying to find, I don't know what I was saying. Cause I'm doing two things at once. I was trying to pull up this article so people can know that's not it. I was trying to pull up the actual article that I, here we go. 1948 dude. Right. I was wrong about that. Okay. So Weird. there we go. Yeah,
2: so like within a year of Kenneth Arnold,
1: right. And oh, Rainier, you've got this.
2: Yeah. And she was not alone. I mean, this this shouldn't, don't want to give the impression that this was like an isolated incident because other people in the Chehalis area saw something very similar to this. Yeah. I mean, it always begs the question of once something like that hits the papers, Mm -hmm. does it create more of those sightings or does it just make people feel more comfortable to talk about their own experiences? Um, So. The the straight line between the Sizzing Whizzing Man mm-hmm. and uh, Mexico City is that you've got a very similar figure appearing, except this time now what is becoming involved is technology, and in much the same way as the Chupacabra legend was enhanced by technology and the spread of it uh, was multiplied. In the case of the strange aeronauts, sighted over Mexico City, these mm-hmm. were captured on videotape. Um, and, you know, one experience led to another to the point where you had really squads and groups of people going out with the expressed purpose of trying to capture UFOs on tape. And in doing, you know, in following that, uh, they also captured these humanoid figures. And they were given um, the, not, the, the name UFHs, uh, unidentified flying humanoids. But in, in the, the local language, they were referred to as ombrecito voladores or little flying men. Hmm. And it, this really kicks off in the year 2000 and spans an entire decade so that you had what were called sky watchers basically going out to various locations around Mexico City for the purpose of capturing either UFOs or these little flying men on videotape. And there's a a certain success at doing that. Typically what people were seeing at this point were humanoid figures flying, you know, not even really flying, but more floating in an upright position. So rather than like Superman flying with arms outstretched, it was somebody who would appear to be, you know, um, vertical in the air but floating here and there, with legs dangling down, in some cases arms outstretched.
1: Did they did, open? Did Did anyone reference like um, witches when it came? Yes. To? Okay. Okay. As As I know fact, about these. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So
2: uh, it's somewhat separate because the the nature of the sighting of the witch was uh, very very close up. I mean, and, and it involves a police officer, so you've got a couple interesting features there. But these. For the most part, these little flying men were seen at a greater distance. And in some cases, I think, captured on videotape, even when the person wasn't exactly sure what it was they were seeing. Mm. They just saw something floating in the air, thought it was interesting. And later on, when they were able to zoom in, they get this, this humanoid figure. Um, so the first one of those, the most famous in some respects, is February 2000. Uh, Dark-colored. Like uniform color going at low speed in March 2000 in a similar location, which is to say the vicinity of Mexico City, um, legs dangling down and sort of leaning a little bit more forward in this case. In July of 2000, there was one that was captured on tape where it descended into a valley. Mm-hmm. And then in October of 2000, in the newspaper, a commercial airline pilot claimed to see a U. FH up close, like from the cabin of the plane that he was flying at the time at a similar altitude. And he said it was unmistakably a person, because he saw arms and legs, and the, the figure appeared to be wearing a backpack of some sort. Hmm. So that, you know, was was really and, and when like Monster Quest, for example, did an episode on flying humanoids, the footage that I'm talking about is that's what you see for the most part in that episode mm. represented. And, and it's not very hugely long bits of food footage, but what you have is you know something that looks humanoid in the air. Floating, and then it tends to disappear behind something, like a building.
1: That reminds me of the, the sightings that happened recently uh, and still ongoing at LAX, uh, the right. the rocket, the yes. jetpack man, yeah. the flying man.
2: Absolutely. Interesting. It, it, it's, almost, it's the same genre, really. Mm-hmm. It truly is. And then the witch that you were talking about, that's a whole... I mean, we could do a whole yeah. episode on that
1: yeah.
2: on its own, but that was in 2009 as Officer Leonardo Samaniego... Uh, in a, just sort of a general sort of suburban neighborhood, sees this figure that, that, and this struck me too, at first he thought it was a black trash bag, like descending towards him. And that makes me think of like images of Wizard of Oz and stuff, you mm-hmm. know, with the witch and sort of leaving this trail behind. Oh, yeah, yeah. As it flies. Yeah, yeah. But it came down towards him and got super close to the degree that he identified it as a witch or a, a very uh at least dark clothed figure that was flying evidently under its own power i don't know that it was on a broom necessarily but um you know he was uh cross cross inspected or whatever you want to call that uh really questioned uh very deeply and and um uh, I believe Ken Gerhard had the opportunity to sit down with the witness himself and ask him a bunch of questions about what he saw. And he, Gerhard, was convinced that this guy was deeply affected by whatever experience it is that he had. Um, but it, which, and it, I think it was a daylight sighting as well. It wasn't like a dark and stormy night, mm-hmm. and he just happens to see this. I think it was a daylight sighting, and it was recreated then for some television show, which is. Sp- like a Spanish television. No, I think it was uh, a. It was like a Travel Channel Ooh.
1: type episodic, unexplained show. The the takeaway I have from all this is we we need a second flying humanoids episode mm-hmm. part two. The other thing is I really want to. Well, the the witches thing would be great because I think yeah. w- just talking about witches would tie into Bell Witch, and then also we can talk about more than just. I, I think an episode about witches is probably needed. The other thing is I had. I came across some really cool flying monster stories Mm
0: -hmm.
1: on newspapers, specifically one about what they kept calling the Jersey mosquito. Have you heard of this? No. And it's not in Jersey. I don't know why they're (laughs) calling it this. It's in like, it's near tombstone. No kidding. Supposedly these two guys, these two ranchers killed it, whatever this thing was. Mm -hmm. And it shows up in every newspaper and it's an ongoing thing. It goes on over a couple of weeks and I had to skip it because it wasn't humanoid in any way. In fact, they described it as having an alligator's head and like an 18 foot body. Wow. Um, In some ways, uh, maybe like a flying pterodactyl, a very large pterodactyl with wings. Well, uh, alligator with wings. But um, I'd like to get into that. I mentioned this, this show needs to end because it's almost 45 minutes, but I mentioned this and because of that, I got to at least read it Okay. again. If for those watching monsters in print, Wait, over here. Monsters in Print uh, by Adam Benedict of the Pine Barrens Institute. Um, but weirdly enough, I actually found the same article on newspapers hmm. when I was looking. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the article's called A uh, Strange Creature Killed in the Woods of Arkansas from June 30th, 1891. Uh, it ran in a Nevada newspaper, which is pretty common back then, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. Um, according to an Arkansas journal, Dr. Collins of Little River County, that state, killed a most remarkable quadruped near his place in the spring of 1877. From the time of the war up until the year named, several persons claimed to have frequently seen an animal in the form of a, sorry, large, this is really getting me emotional. I hate when centaurs get shot and killed. (laughs) Uh, In the form of a large red deer with the head and neck of a man. On the day that the animal was killed Dr Collins wife and a girl were going along an unused path when they saw the the queer creature peering at them through the underbrush They made haste and informed the doctor what had occurred He took his gun and started in search of the beast which he soon overtook and shot closer inspection showed that the head instead of being that of a man More nearly resembled that of a baboon, its eyes were large and very prominently set to the sides of its head. A long fringe of brown beard covered the chin and neck. Dr. Collins said that when he came up with the creature and leveled his gun at it, it seemed to be aware of its great danger. The large eyes melting into tears as it saw the utter hopelessness of the case. When shot, it uttered a heart-rending scream and leaped high in the air expiring with awful groans which closely resembled those of a man in distress it is generally believed that the creature was a species of Mexican centaur, a semi-legendary <laughs> creature of the post-conquest era so again, has nothing to do with flying humanoids, but I thought it was funny um, I have a couple other articles we're going to have to get to on a part two um, but for now I think that covers part one a- and a centaur <laughs> flying humanoids and a centaur and a centaur, part one Okay. Um, you want to wrap us up on these? Look at this blister I have from cutting vegetables this morning. Wow. That's my woman hands. My, oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, all
2: right. You're letting those vegetables have it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah well, I don't know. I, to wrap up, I guess I would just say that flying humanoids is, um, the, the mythology goes back as far as there have been people. Mm-hmm. And whatever else we want to say about, possibilities, explanations, origins, etc. I think partially what this speaks to is a desire on our part to take flight, you know, and I think almost everyone has probably had a dream in which they could fly, things of that nature, and I can't help but think that contributes to this in some way, that, you know, we're for the most part earthbound until relatively recently in human history, and we've always, I think, envied those type of creatures that can fly, and I don't know what you know how much overlap that has or psychologically if that plays into it but that's what i kept thinking about and being reminded of stories like icarus for example uh, things of that nature that you know, we would like to um, have that ability if possible and uh, if we can't then we like to um, maybe see in our minds ways that that could be possible
1: um leave it to Matske to end a conversation about flying humanoids flying people with wings on such a highfalutin note <laughs> um you can poetic, uh in a certain way. leave us a rating and review on itunes google play what did that guy call us laugh chuckling chuckling oh, oh giggle giggle G- fest, giggle fest. <laughs> the google fest continues <laughs> um Yeah, You can leave us a rating review on iTunes Send mail to monsteropolismail at gmail.com Watch the show Interact with us if you want On YouTube for squad members We are going to start retroactively Posting these shows to YouTube for free Um, Squad members will get them early Everyone else will get them later I just haven't figured out the details of this yet So bear with us as we're figuring all this YouTube stuff out Um, We'll be back next week Don't forget to watch The Bell Witch The Mark Mm -hmm. of the Bell Witch Mm -hmm. coming out excited for you guys to see it thanks for tuning in
0: monsteropolis is proudly presented on wadsworth community radio 97.1 fm or streaming live at wadsworthcommunityradio.com it is proudly underwritten by thurbers jewelers on the square in downtown wadsworth